welcome to Pints and Politics. Joining me for this online discussion is our regular panel, politics panel, fresh from two weeks of pandemic incarceration at home over the holidays. First, we have property manager and businesswoman Jenny Lancio, then uh, Curve Lake First Nation Councillor and Ontario NDP Indigenous Peoples Committee Chair, Sean Conway, writer, editor, and podcaster Donald Fraser, uh, then we have Peterborough This Week journalist and former mayor of Peterborough, Sylvia Sutherland. And rounding out, we have a campaign manager and consultant, Lauren Hunter. Welcome all and belated Happy New Year. We had many things planned for this program, which of course have been uh, waylaid by recent events. So let's go to the top of the batting order. You know, I had a, a program plan uh, that uh, was coming along nicely, asked Donald about it, and then uh, we had the stunning events of Tuesday evening in Georgia, a double victory for uh, the Democrats, and then, of course, the storming of Congress Bill. So let's start with the political events playing out in the U.S. right now. Maybe we should say just something about Warnock and Ossoff before we jump into yesterday and the scenario. What, what, what does Warnock and Ossoff's victory mean? It means, uh, Sylvia here, it means that uh, pre- President-elect Biden will have a much better opportunity to change America for the better. It means that he will also have a much better opportunity to get his nominees, such as Merrick Garland, who was nominated today as by him, suggested by him as the attorney general. And he did this apparently after he realized that they had taken Georgia uh, and they could get the nominations through the Senate and, and they will control the agenda of the Senate. And that, to my way of thinking, and I think to the way of thinking of many people is a huge, huge advantage and will, it's a huge challenge the new administration has before it. But that victory in Georgia, other than, in addition to being tremendously symbolic, as both the elected senators are, will really change the face of what Joe Biden is able to do and Kamala Harris over the next four years. This is uh, Jenny here. I had been reading about Reverend Warnock and just an interesting anecdote about him that I had read. His mother, I think, is 89 or something like that. And she used to pick cotton in fields. And to see how far, like to, to, to imagine the things that she has seen in her life and then to live to see her son recognize this success is, it's like it's, it is at least something positive that has come out of this, I think. Like, just to imagine what their family must be feeling right now was, I thought that was just a really nice anecdote about their family <laughs> dynamic and kind of where they've come from and, and where now. Sean. Yeah, Sean here. Two things. I think that, number one, Raphael Warnock will be the first black senator elected 
in Georgia, which is a very exciting thing. It also chimes into the work of the last 10 years or so by activists within the state, particularly Stacey Abrams, who we remember ran for governor a number of years ago and decided to go on a a suffrage journey in Georgia to to register folks to come out and change the state. Uh, I think that's really significant and that level of organizing should be taken as a model for Democrats moving forward in, in really championing voting rights which I think is, is really, really important in the United States where there uh, really is not the ability for free elections in the United States based around, you know, the new Jim Crow and all this sort of thing. But the other piece being that, to me, Democrats taking control of the Senate means the Democrats in Congress no longer have an excuse not to do things. And, yes. and I think that, you know, a little bit of you know, the Chuck Schumers of the Nancy Pelosi's really kind of wanted Mitch McConnell to hang on to the Senate. Um, <laughs> because now they're going to have to do a couple of, of things that the Joe Manchins of the Democratic Party are not going to like, particularly Joe Biden's promise on a $15 federal minimum wage, which I think would help millions and millions of people. So it's definitely an interesting situation to see where a new opposition is going to come for Joe Biden's priorities. Sort of put up or shut up, sort of. So that was that was Tuesday. <laughs> then we woke up Wednesday morning with the news that there's something of a rally going on in Washington. I was all set to go out for uh, a winter bike ride Wednesday afternoon. I logged into Twitter, and that's where I stayed because I realized, not, not to be overly uh, grandiloquent here, but that history was unfolding, and I, I couldn't get away from it. When did you first start following the story yesterday, and what do you make of it? Well, history, I, Sylvia again, I unfortunately lately, um, not just due to the pandemic, have been wedded to either CNN or MSNBC. And I, I'd stayed up till about two in the morning to see what was happening in Georgia. Georgia was critically important. And unfortunately, it sort of got lost in what happened the next day. And what happened in Washington? It should really have been no surprise to anyone. And, and the, the signals were all out there. And, and I know later on we'll get into policing. I won't do that now. And so I, I saw it almost from the time it, it hit the screen. And I've repeat again, I've been in, I have a bust of Eleanor Roosevelt on my mantle. I never thought I would live to see what I saw over these last two days, especially yesterday, which was appalling. And uh, and the president-elect was quite right today. They're not protesters. They were rioters. And I have feeling that, you know, and, and encouraged, encouraged by the president of the United States of America, who just came on a few minutes ago and read a script about how it was so wrong. Balderdash. He encouraged it. That's a polite word. So uh, what we have seen is enormously sad. It's uh, Lauren here. I was working away at my desk and watching Twitter out of the corner of my eye, as I often do. And so <laughs> happened to see it start to unfold. And then, as I'm sure other folks did, kind of watched it all live unrolling. And I have to say, <clears throat> having been a political staffer, my first thoughts were to the poor staff and members uh, in the chambers and what must be going through their minds, and especially, you know, the staff on Capitol Hill and on Parliament Park 
are so young, many of them, they're 20 year olds or 30 year olds, you know, to have to go through a traumatic experience like that. And I, you know, there's always got to be a Canadian angle here. So it did bring me back a little bit to 2014 and the shooter that stormed in uh, and, and mm-hmm. made it uh, to where members were having their, their caucus meetings. And that just awful feeling in the pit of my stomach that my friends and colleagues and people I know might be in harm's way. And so be family members, you know, friends of folks who work on Capitol Hill and just in the chaos and pandemonium. Um, and yet, you know, seeing it all live streaming on social media at the time was just so surreal. And I think what I take from this and I have through all of the Trump presidency is that words matter and words have a lot of power. And it's more, you know, Sylvia, I would go further than encouraging. He incited this violence. Oh, yeah. And yeah. he's doing so right. from day one over and over again. And we might get into this, but I'll say that those same forces and those same words are used in Canadian politics. People call Prime Minister Justin Trudeau a traitor and treasonous. A communist. Well, a communist, but but traitor and treason are those kinds of words that really tip to something else. And we, we Canadians, you know, not that any of us here would be, but we can't be smug sitting here in our uh, no. northern uh, abode thinking that we're better than this because it's here too. And there has yes. been, Lauren, you're absolutely right, Sylvia, and I, I'll stop after this, but you're absolutely right. There's been a lot of smugness today on the Canadian. Um, uh, I only follow Facebook. I don't tweet Twitter, whatever that is. But, uh, you know, there's been an enormous amount of smugness and it, it can happen here. And in some ways it is. The accusation, for example, which is getting out there. The prime minister was out of the country. Prime minister was not out of the country. And to quote Miss Romley, let's tell the truth. You know, this really would help. But you're right. There's, it can happen here. And to some extent, in a minor way, it is happening here. Jen here, as I was watching it unfold, um, I was at work, but I'm fortunate enough to have access to the news. So we were watching it at work. And two things kind of stuck out in my mind. One, how absolutely ironic these protesters are. They think they are exercising their right to, you know, freedom of assembly by doing what they're doing, not even realizing that that right came from that exact building that they are, that they're ruining. Like they're being so disrespectful to this process that they firmly believe that they are entitled to. And that irritated me. And then what irritated me even more was the thought that there are people that go to work every day in that building and they work in sanitation and they're the custodian and they're running the the coffee stand and they just want to get up in the morning and go to work and make their 15 bucks an hour and go home at the end of the day. And nobody should have to be subjected to that absolute nonsense when they get up to go to work in the day they just shouldn't have to and i can't even imagine how terrified they must have been like you're thinking i just want to take the garbage out and now you you know you're hiding with the gas mask on underneath the desk it's absolutely it was absolutely absurd to me over the past two days um i've i've been working on a project where i've been talking to Politicians, uh, retired politicians, uh, dignitaries from uh, Peterborough, Ontario, Canada. And, and the conversation obviously kept on turning to this. And one of the things that that came up a number of times, and, and I want to thank Sylvia for, for being one of the people I was chatting with in the last couple of days. I interrupted her from watching what was going on, is 
how how this started and and the fact that that republicans and, and not just trump um but republicans and trump caused this uh over the last four years they've used propaganda they've used bald-faced lies they've undermined and and maliciously and turned uh, both state and journalism uh, against democracy uh they took entire pages from the fascism playbook uh, they fanned the flames of revolt. It was done purposely. It was done with an intent to delegitimize anyone other than the president and the party. And it was a, it was a, a legitimate attempt at totalitarianism. Uh, and we look to Canada. We look to, first of all, the Republicans. We look to politicians everywhere. And we say, we got to stop this. We got to stop the conspiracies. We got to stop the bald faced lying. We got to stop whipping up frenzies. We've got Matt, Matt Gates right now is, is it, they're saying that there was facial recognition software used to prove that it was Antifa uh, responsible for the insurrection. Meanwhile, the, that, that he cited, the, the facial recognition software company said, no, that's completely made up. In, in, Ontario, in Ontario, we have Lecce, uh, bald-faced lying about veritable stats and figures. Uh, we have Doug Ford lying about just about anything. We have Aaron O'Toole frothing at the mouth, you know, daily for the for a matter of weeks about Trudeau. And, and yeah, you know, whipping people up so so that if you look at social media, the words fascist come up, uh, the word communist comes up. Sure. Uh, you know, the, this this is crazy. And and so politics itself is, is no longer about governing. It's about getting what you want, however you can get it, and using tools to erode democracy as a means of doing so. And we are by no means innocent in Canada. We we are following the same the same plays. We're not quite as flamboyantly ignorant about it as Trump is, but but we're following the same playbook. And if we want this to happen again in the United States, Canada, in any parts of Western Europe, we've got to change rhetoric. Uh, we've we've got we've got to stop this just insanity. What about policing yesterday? Uh, Sean, did you want to jump in? Yeah, I just wanted to jump in on yesterday. It, it's no secret that my household is a 24-7 household. We are tuned right into what's going on everywhere. So I, I actually was looking forward to Rudy Giuliani's speech early in the morning because I, I happened to I think it's Probably the only person who was. He's a very difficult person to watch, but you know, when you saw the the bile leaking from his forehead a couple of weeks ago, you kind of want to pay attention to him. I, I, you know, me and Aggie and and our kids, we were having a, a nice breakfast and a bit of a snack, and and we get the um, holy, there's a coup happening, and uh, and uh, so we were tuned in and we watched. Uh, right till the end of Senate and House proceedings last night, till very early this morning, uh, and then into some of the work uh, through today. My impressions of of what happened are: it was an insurrection. It was it was an act of domestic terrorism. It was also an act that violated the president's own executive order from a few weeks ago which would put someone 10 years in federal prison for desecrating a federal landmark. So that's an interesting thing. We'll see if uh, the DOJ is going to go for that. But, but realistically, I think, I think the real story is not about the, about the members of Congress. It, it's, as Lauren said, it's about, it's about the staff, uh, working for the members. It's about 
the staff working for the federal government in those buildings, and they should not be subject to that amount of assault at work. You know, say what you will. You know, I I think that this has been coming for a long time. It wasn't on the show, but after the show a couple months ago, Donald and I spoke about exactly this situation happening. Where I said, you're going to have armed people storming the Capitol a couple weeks before the inauguration. It's going to happen. And it did. I don't think anyone was surprised of that. We've seen it. We've seen it coming. And uh, you can even, you know, look to other examples in other failed states across the world where this sort of thing happens all the time. And uh, and that's what you get when you get someone who's not not a stable genius (laughs) in the country. So I'll leave my that that. Not to hide behind my own cloak of privilege, but to acknowledge it, I have to say that both black and white, other races saying that if those insurrectionists yesterday, if they had been Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter, we'd be having a mass casual casualty event to debrief today. This this is a difficult one, and 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 stay with me. For a second here, comparison with uh, with a Black Lives Matter situation or confrontation uh, is very different than what happened when someone stormed the Capitol building or an organized group attacked the Capitol building. Uh, the policing here was very, very different. And we'll get to who was assigned in a second. But the guards who were there probably did a fairly smart thing. You've got thousands of people outside the Capitol building with pressure building ready to explode. You've got an unknown number of people in the Capitol building in seemingly several locations. You don't know if they're armed. Uh, and the last thing you want to do is escalate violence. In the end, one person was shot, which is pretty impressive. And I don't think this is a matter of the fact that police violence against people of color is, is not a thing because, because man, is it ever. Police violence against black people in America is a major problem, as is systemic racism. But if you imagine several thousand black protesters inside the Capitol, and there's a whole bunch of them inside who may be armed, storming the inside of the Capitol, making their ways to the floor, you're way, way, way outnumbered. You're probably not going to escalate violence. One, because there's a pretty good chance that you're going to lose that battle and put a whole bunch of people in jeopardy and incite a massive riot. Uh, and two, because really, you want backup. I think that's what they were waiting for. But this is a, not a statement on people and violence towards the black community. Police violence exists. It's an issue that's not going away. And there's no way that black protesters wouldn't have gotten that far. The problem is, is how it was policed in the first place. Where was the National Guard? Where was the Army? Washington Mayor uh, Muriel Bowser announced on Tuesday that it's the D.C. Metropolitan Police Department that would be the lead agency and kind of pushed back against U.S. Park Police and U.S. Secret Service. Uh, He said, to be clear, the District of Columbia is not requesting other federal law enforcement personnel and discourages uh, any additional uh, deployment. Uh, so there was there was way too few people there. And this is way different than when the protests around the killing of, say, George Floyd happened. Trump had every flavor of security and policing flexing their muscles. They brought in prison, prison guards. Uh, they brought in whoever they could. But D.C. is known for its very territorial law enforcement agencies. And and. The four agencies that were involved there weren't all invar- involved. So the 
they and they were where where Trump's rally took place. Secret Service was in the vicinity of the White House. Capitol Police were in charge of the Capitol complex. But the full contingent of the National Guard, you know, eleven hundred folks, were not deployed until it was way, 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 way too late. So those protesters who were in the Capitol doesn't matter if they were white, black, yellow, green, blue. Once they were in there, chances are that would have rolled it the same way. The questions we have to ask is, how did they get there? Where were the the lines of of protection and the flexing of muscles that you saw when Black Lives Matter were protesting? Uh, It's it's very, very scary. And then once they were in there, while the the Capitol Police's job was to make sure things stayed safe and obviously not going to start shooting bullets around, at the same time, we saw them appearing in selfies with with some of the <laughs> of the mob with the insurrection, and uh, so it, it's a complicated matter. The, the fact of the matter is, those those terrorists should never have been in the Capitol building, and wouldn't have been if it was Black okay. Lives Matter, because Trump would have prevented it. Sylvia, and I, I don't get a lot of time on this, but. First of all, Mayor Bowser cannot call in the National Guard. Uh, that's one of the reasons why perhaps District of Columbia should be made a state. They, there was no question that well, there would be a crowd of people there yesterday who would be inclined to do exactly what they did. And that has been for some time because the President of the United States incited them to be there. And the question is really what Donald has, in fact, asked. Why were there so few people there protecting the Capitol, and all the people inside the Capitol building. And why were, and, and you know, you saw uh, one of the uh, one of the guards up front helping a woman up the steps, for heaven's sakes, who was, you know, going into riot. There, I think there's a story here that will eventually unfold, and I don't think it's going to be a very pleasant one, and I think the finger is going to point eventually right back up Pennsylvania Avenue to the White House. Absolutely. Breaking news, Tr- Donald Trump just conceded the election to Joe Biden. Yes, I saw that. Did, yes. you, did you actually see his – this was tape that appeared on Twitter, so I guess he's allowed back on. And his opening words were, yeah. he immediately called in the National Guard. Well, apparently he never called in the National Guard. No. I did, it was the vice president. No, uh, absolutely. You know, but, and he didn't even bother to contact the vice president. <laughs> in fact, Capitol was under siege. So he lied about that, and there are several other things. But the chilling last words he said in this, I'm sure it will be broadcast a lot tonight, was indication that his story is not finished so far. as. Uh, but he did concede. He did say there will be a – he didn't mention Biden. He can't bring himself to Joe Biden by name. But he did concede that there will be a new administration. Yeah, I think – I think Sylvia made a, a really great point earlier, which is the case for D.C. statehood. Yes. Um, I think it's a it, – and Puerto Rico, we should probably add that in as well. Puerto Rico and D.C. deserve to be United yes. States. I think that's 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 a long overdue. And I, I think it would sort of help a lot of the systemic issues that are, that are coming around around D.C. But the other piece is, you know, Trump not calling the National Guard. Trump was AWOL yesterday. Absolutely AWOL. He went to that rally and went right back into the bunker at, at the, at the White House. It was him and Mark Meadows sitting around watching Fox News all day. Mike Pence stepped up and ran the country all day. And, you know, how scary is that? Really, like, like that's, that's where we're at, you know, and 
and I watched the Senate proceedings last night. Mike Pence did his job. He stepped. I'm never, I'm never ever going to say that he's a good man, and I'm never ever ever going to say that that any of the that that you know Kelly Loeffler has a redemption arc by the end of this. It's it's you know it's not going to happen. But they were able to carry out the the work of the people, the business of the people, and that's that's all that matters. So, yeah, absolutely. But you see, you see people like Mitch McConnell trying for that redemption arc, and you you all of a sudden have Republicans who have been enabling um, the, this erosion of and and well, it, it's a bit it's a bit late for that, guys. You 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 were the ones who fanned the flame. You threw yeah. gasoline on the fire, and now you're going to say. Whoa, there's a fire in the house. Could you believe Lindsey Graham? Well, yes, unfortunately you could. The, 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 the thing with them is it's one or the other. You know, you either go all in with Stop the Steal or you go all in with, hey, Donald, it's it's over. You know, there's no middle ground. And so many of these clowns, these clowns, they try to like, well, you know, think there's still a lot of discussion that needs to be happening around the audit of the, you know, it's not going to happen. You either go full Matt Gates, Josh Hawley, Ted Cruz, crazy, or get off the pot. There's, there's only one response, I think, if people really want to have a redemption arc, and and that is for the, the, the 25th Amendment to be put in place. If the Republicans well, yeah. truly feel that President Trump was was gone too far and was acting of his volition and and not party support then the 25th amendment is the only way to say listen you know what we effed up and and i i don't see it happening I just, I think what we're forgetting though is, you know, we think we are six very rational, normal people who have normal <laughs> There's some assumptions there. We are maybe. But the frightening part is that 50% of the United States voted for him. And think what happened yesterday was just friggin' fantabulous. And mm. why didn't it happen yeah. sooner? And they'd vote for him again and again and again. And that is what is frightening to me. Because for every one Donald Trump that's crazy, there's like 15 others waiting in the wings to step up. And 50% of America are up for it. And that's what I find frightening. Lauren. And I, yeah, I would just tie that, Jen, to something you said earlier about the folks who were in the Capitol and, you know, walking around and desecrating the building. Well, if you if you see some of the footage from it, you know, they're claiming, as many other folks have, that this is our house. We, the people, this is our house. Uh, you know, the Congress is a place to represent us. They fully believe 150% that the election was stolen, that they had a right yes. to be there, that they were doing what Donald Trump told them to do, which was to go down and cheer on our Republican legislators as they, you know, challenge the process and whatnot. And that's, I mean, you know, mm-hmm. take misinformation, disinformation, social media, this inciting of violence to sort of its logical conclusion, and that's what you end up with. And I guess the big question for me as, as someone who who practices politics is, 
how do we, the Pandora's box is open. How, how do you yeah. put yeah. those folks back into uh, the box? I don't know that you can, and the damage is irreparable. Donald. I, I have a question because I don't have the answer. How, how much, how much of this is the, the natural climate of America? And how much of this is the effects of the propaganda that were being, that was being stirred up, that was being created? How much of this is because there has been a concerted effort to erode democracy, to erode journalism, to, to take away what is real and replace it with conspiracy theory? How much has the United States been forced to drink the Kool-Aid through sheer repetition? I don't know the answer. My hopes is that this is a result of getting Donald Trump as president, someone who is immediately recognizable, larger than life in America, and having him be the agency for propaganda, for conspiracy, for outright lies, and for a brainwashing of a nation. One of the... Um, one of- one of the four people that unfortunately died in that effort yesterday, I was reading about her. She had been, I've, she was an ex-Marine or ex-military or whatever. She, Air I, I Force. Know, the military she was in, but she'd been to Afghanistan and she'd been to Qatar and she'd been to Kuwait. And, and I'm thinking, and this is like literally the hill you choose to die on. Like I, I find that shocking. I don't know if it's, like the propaganda or drinking the Kool-Aid or, or what it is, but is there really 50% of a country that really believe that stuff, that really believe that what Donald Trump has told them is true? There, there must be, like there is just yeah. no critical thought going on. No, I just was, I think there's five dead now, a police officer died. Uh, oh, goodness. That's what I had to say. Uh, the, the real danger, I think, well, there's many dangers, that you'll get someone who is more articulate and more, well, and acceptable than Trump, but who represents the same thing mm-hmm. and won't make the catastrophic, obvious mistakes that Trump has that there's someone else waiting in the wings there. Yes. And unless... Of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, like, unless this administration can tone that, can change, can turn America around again. There, there was a one. I don't know if anybody saw. There was a CNN documentary on the weekend called "The Rock and Roll President," and the Rock and Roll President was, of all people, you'll never guess, Jimmy Carter. And Jimmy Carter loved rock and roll, and they loved him. And old Willie Nelson was on there. And anyway, if you get a chance to see it, see it. But they, I was overseas that year. David and I were living in England, so I didn't see the Carter inauguration. But the first thing he said, Jimmy Carter, as he was inaugurated, just sworn in, he turned to the man on his right, who had been his predecessor, who was Jerry Ford. And he said, I want to thank my predecessor for healing the nation. And was that not a moment of grace? And is that where we want to come back to? And will Joe Biden have an opportunity, perhaps, one hope? And remember, uh, you know, Carter or Carter succeeded Ford, who su- inherited from Nixon. And the times were not as bad. But if you go back to the 30s, the times were when there was a right-wing movement in America, when you had the fascist whose poster boy was Charles Lindbergh. I mean, we've been, they've been close to this before. Just possibly Joe Biden can heal the nation, we hope. Anyways, sorry. Yeah, Sean. Yeah, going back to Donald's question, 
you know, do I think that Donald Trump is the cause of the situation in the United States? I don't think that. Yeah. I think that, I think that Trump and Donald Trump has always been a symptom of neoliberal inaction, neoconservatism, endless wars, economic suffering on, on the American people. And Joe Biden does have an opportunity to heal the soul of the name. And it comes down to finding the common denominator, whether it be 81 million or 74 million Americans, and finding out what the hell is going on and what he can do as a president with a Congress, with a Senate, hopefully he expands the Supreme Court. That'd be pretty good. All right. What he can do to actually make people's lives better. Because just saying, I'm going to heal the soul of the nation and not following it up with palpable policy resolutions, he will not be able to do that. Because those people who stormed the Capitol, I think it's a bit of a petit bourgeois, you know, beer gut putsch. But (laughs) the people that sympathize with Donald Trump, they wanted to end the wars. They wanted good union paying jobs back. Right. They wanted to end, you know, free trade. They wanted all of these economic messages that Donald Trump ran on in 2016. Donald Trump didn't deliver on any of that because he didn't care. He ran, he, he ran the country like, uh, um, like if Mitt Romney ran the country without the decorum, right? So you talk about, as Sylvia said, you know, a more savvy fascist. You've got those people waiting in the wings already, and you saw it on the Senate floor last night. You saw Josh Hawley. You saw Ted Cruz. They're ready. You see, then on the other side, Tom Cotton. What a horrible man. Tom Cotton is ready to run for uh, run for president in 2024. The field is already full of people that are either going to deny Trumpism, deny that you know, that fervent anger that he's stoked or people that are going to say, you know what? Donald Trump was right. And we got to take back our country. It, you know, this stuff's been going on since the end of the New Deal coalition with JFK. This is the, the culmination of JFK is today with, uh, with how things have ended up. You know, it's a 50 year project in, in American exceptionalism, which has come home to roost. And, and I'm not shocked. Donald. There is a deep fear among those who support Trump. Uh, there is a fear of being Christian, uh, of being part of the manufacturing sector, uh, of, of, of being the, the, the lower middle class, that their way of life is under siege. Uh, they are scared of globalism. They are scared of not being able and waking up to the life that they are accustomed to, the the great American way where we can all succeed, um, the American dream. No, no, and no. They don't, they, sorry, I'm going to interject. They don't want us all to succeed. They, if you're white, that's great. Yes. There's another element to that. Absolutely. And, and, and I think that's where I, where I mentioned the globalism part of things. But and, and we can actually tease that out and say people of color. Uh, people who are not white and, and there's great fear. And some of it, some of it is despicable racism and, and it needs to be eliminated. But there's also how people were raised 
how they were programmed as youth when the people that they look up to, their parents, their pastors, their teachers, who, who are all saying that our, our way of life is under siege, uh, that, that it was almost like they were working for a, a leader to do that. Now, Trump is not a leader, but he's a great tool. And, and I think that they used the power of Donald Trump in the media and on social media to rally that fear, to inflame that fear, to really stoke the fire. And, and it does not make it right. But I think that the left has to really understand where this fear comes from yes, yes. before we, we just lash out and say, they're all yahoos. They're all racist. Uh, they're, they're all Looney Tunes. Uh, and, and there is a good action at that. But there's also a deep fear and a great divide in America right now. Well, having grown up in the shadow of World War II, one of the koans, if you will, that uh, I struggled with as a teenager and young adult is where did the Nazis get their their people to do the dirty work. And when I was about 20, 21, I said, aha, oh, I know where they got it. They know where, I know where they found them. They, over there, you know, the, 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 the objectionables, the, uh, the marginalized people in the, the community, that's where they were. The and it wasn't until my later twenties, uh, where it finally hit me. No, they found those people to do the dirty work in the mirror. In other words, this is us. I was just wanted to come back to what Lauren had mentioned earlier. We're talking a lot about what's going on in the U.S., but another thing that I found a bit shocking yesterday was the number of Canadians, and I am embarrassed to say people that I know that were in support of this action happening yeah. yesterday. And I very quickly came to the realization, okay, you are not my people, and we're – no longer going to have an acquaintance as you know sometimes happens but it it is frightening to me like i don't think that canada is too far away from finding ourselves in the exact same situation be a little bit more polite about it but i was shocked at who supported it and how vocal they were about supporting it you know i have i mentioned just recently in passing yet again trump in a call and again i got mail of vitriol. Nothing else, no other name I have mentioned, over 180 odd columns, will get the response from this area. Mm -hmm. Mention the word Donald Trump and how hateful it is that I obviously hate Trump. I just want to remind, you know, everyone who listens that uh, it was not that long ago that uh, a man armed to the teeth rammed his truck through the gates of Rideau Hall yes. and tried to make it to Rideau Cottage where the Trudeau family resides. Uh, and he, you know, was a Manitoba sausage maker, as it came out later, uh, when it was uh, sort of uh, papered over a little bit, but had fallen down some of the same QAnon rabbit holes and... You know, those actions are happening here at Far Right Networks. There have been folks who've been 
for a long time about far-right networks in Canada and how active they are. And we had a, I believe it was a Canadian reservist, um, leave Canada to go down into the U.S. to get trained up um, with some of these uh, more ardent militant groups. Sure. Here, not just in terms of sympathizers, but they're here, you know, reflecting that back onto Canadian politics. Now, we only have about um, just over 10 minutes left spinning off of uh, Jen and Lauren's observation. Let's come back north of the border here and maybe segue from all that's going on and its influence in the States and its influence on Canada to some of the things that we're dealing with here. I'm thinking uh, there's so much. First of all, uh, we are in the midst of a pandemic. Each province is managing it differently. We're about to send, we were about to send students back to school, then we find out this afternoon, no, they're not going back to school. How is that playing out? I, I'd, I'd like to point out that if you if you were to go on a social media, and we've looked to the United States for the conspiracy theories uh, uh, around Trump and around the election and around the pandemic, and just go on social media in Canada and see the conspiracy theories that live and flourish uh, online and in person and in rallies, and then well, you know, but the leadership's different, and we look at Ontario, and and we have Doug Ford brother of Rob Ford. Uh, th- this, is a, this is a family with organized crime uh, links. Uh, this, is, this is a premier who was formerly a drug dealer who is the brother of a crack addict who, um, who was working with gangs. We, we can't take a look at, at, at the United States and, and Trump and, and say, oh, look at this craziness, because well, those conspiracies are living here. They're thriving here. And and we have leaders who should by no means be holding power right now. We're we're not that far away. And and I think when mm-hmm. we look at the pandemic story, we've got to we've got to look in the mirror and say, yeah, well, how how far from the states are we? Sean, yeah, I think I think in Canada we're no better. Um, you know, the, we're right. so yeah. we're so inclined with the culture. We're in the culture wars, and you know this this sort of thing. We're not immune to it here, uh, like Lauren said, with the, the the friendly sausage maker ramming into the gates <laughs> is one thing. But but you know we're we're no stranger to acts of domestic terrorism as we saw in Willowdale, uh, you know, in 2018, as we saw at the at the House of Commons just a few years ago, where Nathan Cirillo was shot. These things happen up here. It's important to remember that the Proud Boys were founded in Canada through the Toronto Sun and Gavin McInnes, Gavin um, who's a very dear friend of Doug Ford. You know, they, this is this is very known here. We have Faith Goldie, we've got Ezra Levant, we've got uh, Brian Lilly, and all these neo-fascist scumbags who are attempting to circumvent every every bit of good that we may have left in this country. Am I a Trudeau syncophant? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Yeah. And I never I never I would hate for me to be insulted in such a way that it would be insinuated. Hey, um you know like but we're not there's laughter on the screen here. (laughs) Because it's it's here. It is bred here, it's born here, it's supported here. And there is more of an 
there's just the same environment to breed right-wing extremism, white supremacy in Canada as there is in the United States. So what we have to do is we have to push back against these organizations. But again, I'm always hesitant in stopping any sort of, you know, free speech and, and, and that sort of thing. So I want to go into some of the technical stuff, which is about Twitter and Facebook, yes, et cetera, et cetera, banning Donald Trump, which I think is wrong. He's still the president of the United States, but we still cannot allow big tech corporations to censor people who happen to be the leader of the supposed free world where Congress has not been able to do anything. I think it's wrong. And that's, that's my two cents. I'm not, uh, Sylvia, I'm not going to go into a lot of details. I can't right now or thought on this, but I think one of the things we do have working in our favor is that we have a Westminster system of government. We have a different system of government than the United States. And that is not going to isolate or protect us forever. But I think it is, I think it is, given the current climate, an advantage to elect not our prime minister. And uh, we could examine further what we inherited from Britain, but I think it's a good inheritance. I think that it's important that as Canadians, we aren't as naive to think that... um, these types of groups are always going to be like some sort of paranoid wingnut living in their mother's basement. Because in my experience, and in the last couple of days, they are wealthy, white, 55 plus, at every social benefit in Peterborough, hanging on to the end of a big check, pressing the flesh, and they are turned out to be the biggest racist, Trump-supporting nightmares I have ever encountered. Anyway. But I don't, I don't want people to think that, that it's just a right wing nut job sausage maker because it's, it's not. Donald. I want to go, I want to go back to social media and, and Twitter for yes. a book here. And, and I want to go to, to not just uh, groups like the Proud Boys or, or the alt-right groups in Canada, uh, but the fact that, that they and journalists such as Billy, such as uh, Levant, they do social media as as a means of grooming. Uh, they are grooming the alt right, and and th- this is a very scary thing. You know what? There are an awful lot of smart people and an awful lot of rich people who just allow the conspiracies to go on because they this allows for the grooming that will in the end allow them to get what they want, which is their privilege. Uh, and and we have to be scared of this. We have to be scared that right in front of our noses, the alt right is being groomed. Sure, Lauren. I was going to say, it's being groomed, but I think Jenny's point is fantastic about, you know, who this is and what it looks like. A really interesting and terrifying phenomenon has been the ability of, through QAnon and then through sort of anti-COVID lockdown, anti-mask movement, has infiltrated in particular the wellness uh, sort of community. (laughs) So there were folks that I have followed um, for years who were, you know, practicing alternative medicine and interested in some different things that weren't mainstream, who all of a sudden, you know, their channels became walking down the QAnon rabbit hole. And so it, it's very insidious. It doesn't look like the perhaps stereotypical person that we're, we're seeing in the news. But 
Jenny's point is is absolutely accurate. There, there's folks from all walks of life um, who are being captured uh, by by the sentiment, and we, we can challenge it. I think where we see it with our own people, it's it's one thing. I think you know to distance yourself, but I think the harder thing is to try to get in there and 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 you know reasoning might not work, but at least to push back and to say this isn't true. And I, I've got to yeah. speak to you. I might not know you all that well, but this is not the way it is. It's this grouping, it's this grouping, I think, that we saw in America and, and that helped push the divide into the, the conspiracy becoming mainstream. And that's just literally crazy. Now, speaking of conspiracies, I will confess that not, not so many days ago, I saw something that Sean posted on Twitter and I thought, I read it. I said, Mike Harris is getting the Ontario. I thought, that's a pretty clever joke, Sean, and I, I chuckled. <laughs> and then I saw other people posting, and it, Sean wasn't joking. Uh, Mike Harris is being nominated for the Order of Ontario. How did this happen? The he of Ipperwash. He of wa- Walker. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, you know, the Order of Ontario, it's a new thing. It was just, you know, 1986, I believe, they uh, started that up. David Peterson. But it, 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 it basically, there's a panel put together by the existing government to find people that they think that should receive the province's highest honor. And of course, you know, due to the pandemic, there was a bit of, um, bit of malarkey, uh, around the announcement of the 20, uh, 2019, 2019 recipients. Of course, you know, the, the former Pembroke MVP, Sean Conway, received an order that year, but... Uh, <laughs> no, he's a good guy, Sean. He's a good guy, yes. He came and knocked doors against me with Jeff Leal, so it'll never be in my book. <laughs> but, um, uh, so anyways, basically the, the government uh, sitting decides who they want to get. They also got Ernie Eves in, and Ernie Eves well, as well. He's a good guy, too. Um, uh, but uh, what a bad time. What a bad time. You know, Mike, Mike Harris, you know, head of extended care, you know, chair of the board there. How many deaths on his hands there? How many deaths in Walkerton? The death and murder of Dudley George on his word. You know, how, how can we reconcile ourselves living in a province? This is, you know, it's a province. This isn't the country. This is a, you know, we're, why are we giving any sort of, you know, support to, you know, someone who would employ such tactics against people, a 20% cut to Ontario welfare, restructuring it into Ontario works, leading to deaths of hundreds of people in the province. And you get the province's highest honour. But yeah. give your head a you know, shake. I, it does. The, the IFAC ran in 1995, so I, I could recite what you just recited. Uh, not all of it happened, obviously, at that point, but um, it cheapens, unfortunately, the order for those people like Sean Conway and, and others. There's a John Hartman up with an artist up in his connections with Peterborough and even Ernie Eves and, and others. It cheapens the order by giving it the It really does. And that's a shame. So a lot of good people, including the person we were talking about, Donald, Tom Simons, had very and Steve McGregor from Peterborough and various others who earned it and deserved it. But to give it to Mike Harris, is Mike Harris's son is Mike Harris's son not a member of the Legislative Assembly right now? I wonder yes, if he is. Kitchener Conestoga. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, okay. You know, and plus his relationship. No, it, it's a shame. Indeed. Now, there are several other issues we won't have time to get to, but I just want to burble out in passing the McGee families, the, the developers, and their campaign against City Hall for being interested in climate change and building bike lanes. I found that to be one of the more puzzling articles that I read in the paper. I think it's a bald-faced attempt to buy a city council. Oh, no, I don't, I don't think it is that, Donald, actually. Uh, I, I, uh, I just don't, I, I would question whether they'd be going ahead proceeding right now under any municipal government. But but when you come out and and say, I'm just going to wait until there is a uh, a city council that that I'm comfortable working with in order to spend my millions of dollars in the city of Peterborough. No, uh, if that's the case, then we'd never have any development in the city of Peterborough because there'd be be some developer who didn't want to work with the city council. The the mayor herself uh, put out a very salty tweet about the whole thing, about about being on that tour and, and pointing out that... They hadn't actually talked to any preceding city council. You can, develop, you can proceed with the development regardless of city hall. And, and, and you have the right to appeal in, if you don't like what city hall says to, uh, to a provincial tribunal under, under many circumstances. We don't very often have a, have a difference of opinion on here. Um, <laughs> but I am going to say two things. If we're talking about this type of thing, then let's not forget about our good friend Donnie McPherson because he's kind of playing the same card with the safe injection site and his property downtown. But I will say that when it comes to things like this, there are two sides to every story and somewhere in the middle is the truth. So let's not throw the big bad developer underneath the bus. Profit is not a four-letter word. Everybody can make some money here, but it's going to take a collaborative effort. And I think that's where it has gone well, off the rails is with let's, the collaborative let's, effort. Don McPherson is, has developed in the city of Peterborough. Well, that's but right. You're going to disagree with what he's done now. He's a recognizable developer. Right, but don't don't buy a property and then sit on it, sit on it, sit on it, and then when something comes along that you don't like, I'm packing up my toys and going home. Well, this is the thing. So, both of these situations are a developer saying, "I'm taking my ball and I'm going home," unless policy goes the way that I want it. All right, last minute of play in this period. Last minute of play, Lauren, you're elbowing in there. Go ahead. Oh no, I just. I enjoy the back and forth, and I do. I mean, Jenny, I think, listen, there's got to be developers in the city of Peterborough who want to have, there's a housing crisis, and that does mean that we need an injection of housing at all points in the continuum. Sheltered, transitional housing. Yes, it's luxury housing, because that means that folks like who live on Gilmore Street in a giant, beautiful brick story home maybe can afford to move into a condo like that and it opens up, et cetera. But trying to throw their weight around in the court of public opinion does suggest to me that there's other things afoot and those things afoot are politics. All right. And on the note of politics, Jenny, Donald, Sylvia, Sean, and Lauren, thank you so much for joining me for this panel discussion. So that's it. So until next week, this is Bill Templeman. 